Good evening and welcome to the Lotus Flower Podcast. I am your host, Reverend Dr. Pamela Robinson, and I bring you greetings on behalf of my husband, Reverend Curtis L. Robinson Sr. We here at the Lotus Flower Podcast aim is to educate, empower, and equip our listening audience with spiritually relevant, culturally uplifting educational topics. The Lotus Flower Podcast symbolic meaning is the flower that blooms in adversity is the greatest of them all. You see, it's that beautiful lotus flower that grows in the deep mud far away from the sun. But sooner or later, the lotus reaches the light and becomes the most beautiful flower ever. The lotus flower. It is regarded as a symbol of purity, enlightenment, and self-regeneration. These characteristics are the perfect analogy for the human condition. Even in its roots, when they are in the dirtiest waters, the lotus produces the most beautiful flower. This flower symbolizes the inner strength that lies dormant oftentimes in the lives of many of our podcast guests during times of difficulties. This very delicate flower, the lotus flower, is likened to the lives of the strength that lies in the guests that have appeared and will appear on this podcast. You see, even though many of them might have experienced past adversities, past failures, past mistakes, and situations that were traumatic. They were able to bloom and blossom in those situations. Why? Because their lives was rooted and grounded in the Holy Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit that kept them alive and caused them to bounce back out of whatever adverse situation that they may have found themselves in. And when they bloomed, they blossomed and they were able to let off a fragrance, a fragrance that actually all other people around them were impacted by because there was something about this person's life that when they came in contact with individuals or when they come in contact with individuals, they are so welcoming and so embracing and so loving and so generous and compassionate. It's that fragrance that the Bible speaks of in 2 Corinthians about the fragrance of the Lord. These guests of ours are like the fragrance that the Bible speaks of, and they give off of that fragrance so generously. So we're grateful to have our guests on the Lotus Flower Podcast to be a blessing, not only to myself and my husband, but to you globally, all over the United States and into other countries. You may listen to the podcast now on YouTube and also on the following robust platforms, Spotify, Recent FM, Amazon Music Podcast, Google Podcasts, RSS Feed, and Wix.com. And after listening to the podcast, be sure to like, comment, and subscribe to the Lotus Flower Podcast and share the podcast with your listening audience and your social media network. When you subscribe to the podcast, each time that we air, that episode will be dropped right into your inbox and you will never miss an episode. 
So be sure to subscribe to the Lotus Flower Podcast. Tonight, we have a beautiful guest with us by the name of Dr. Rita D. Mercer. Dr. Rita D. Mercer received her doctorate in clinical forensic psychology in 2019 from the Chicago School of Professional Psychology, Anaheim, California campus, previously Urban, California campus. Dr. Mercer holds a master's degree in organizational management from the University of Phoenix and a bachelor's degree from the National University. Shortly after graduation, the world experienced a pandemic that affected every faucet of life, including the reduction of postdoctoral sites. Dr. Mercer solicited the prayers of her village and God opened a, post a postdoctoral position as a mental health clinician in a state psychiatric hospital in Maryland. This required that she move from California to Maryland during the pandemic. Dr. Mercer is a member of the Mount Rubidoux Seventh-day Adventist Church in Riverside, California, and one of the team members of the Family Life Ministries Department. In addition, she is the host of an online Rebidoux Read Book Club, co-facilitator of the online Seeking Safety Support, and collaborates on a weekly online program entitled The Chat that focuses on women and social justice issues. Dr. Mercer is a board member of the Association of Adventist Women, an organization that promotes and supports the ordination of women. Dr. Mercer's professional achievements include the 2019-2020 California Psychological Association Graduate Student Diversity and Social Justice Director. During her tenure, she organized and hosted the first virtual 2020 cross-cultural conference. She is currently the social justice chairperson for the California Psychological Association Division Five Diversity Psychology event that was held on Zoom. This event highlighted the diverse female members of Division 5. Dr. Mercer co-authored an article, Black Men and Mental Health, published in the California Psychologist 2021 fall issue that contributed to the special issue of the California Psychologist National Association of Adult Survivors of Child Abuse. The Pain of Change and was part of the November Mental Health Wednesdays at Mount Rebidos, providing 30-minute online mental health information segments. Dr. Mercer gives all honor and glory to God for her accomplishments and for the opportunity to share her story through public speaking. She is an advocate for women of color to step into their God-given purpose and to be agents of change in their community. Dr. Mercer is excited to see what God has in store for her. And tonight, once again, we welcome Dr. Rita Mercer to the Lotus Flower Podcast. Welcome, Dr. Mercer. 
Hello, good evening, good afternoon, and good morning, wherever you are watching or listening. I am so happy and honored to be on this podcast with Reverend Dr. Pamela Robinson and her husband, Reverend Curtis Robinson Sr. And I am so delighted that we are going to have this conversation tonight. I am so um, glad that I am able to be here with you tonight. Thank you, Dr. Mercer, for joining us once again. And we will have a, an excellent discussion tonight. I am sure that we will. I have allowed our guests, for those of you that may be new joining us, to choose the topic of their choice for the podcast. And, and as I spoke with Dr. Mercer, I said, pray about what the Lord may put on your heart as the topic for this podcast. And she shared with me that she came up with a topic and the topic was finding my voice, how God saved me, season two, episode number 22 of the Lotus Flower podcast. So we want to start there. We want to start talking about how did the Lord allow you to find your voice, Dr. Mercer? Thank you, Dr. Robinson, and thank you for this platform, Emerging Hope Ministries, and what you're doing in Kalamazoo, Michigan. This is a wonderful organization, and I'm just so happy that you are, you and your husband have listened to the voice of God and decided to open up your hearts and open up your platform for anyone to come on and share their story. Um, I grew up in a Christian home. I am the eldest of four. Uh, my parents, I'm a first generation, and my parents were born in my dad in Trinidad, my mother in Panama. So the narrative in our household was education. And we went to the schools in the local area, went to the elementary school. And shortly after we reached about the fifth grade, my sisters were right behind me, the principal mm -hmm. came to my parents and said, you know, we think your your children could do better in a different school. And mm -hmm. they suggested to my parents that we go to a different middle school at that time. And that middle mm -hmm. school was in another city, Montebello. Oh and, my. Yeah, and right after that, mm -hmm. the busing started. Okay. So, you can, so you can imagine um, you're getting up early in the morning, crack of dawn, having to catch a bus and going across town to an all-white school. Oh, my. So, so think about what that is for someone whose world is predominantly African-American. My church was African-American. My neighborhood was very eclectic with Asian, Hispanic, Caucasian, various different uh, individuals in the neighborhood. It was close to the hospital, White Memorial. So many mm -hmm. of the people who lived in my neighborhood were going to school there for nursing, for to become a doctor. So there was a very mixture in the neighborhood. So mm -hmm. now I'm going across town to an area I did not know, mm -hmm. people I did not know, and mm -hmm. having to be in school in a whole different environment. So oh, I experienced my. being the only black in my class. Oh my. The only black in the school along with about 12 of us. Mm -hmm. So of course I felt isolated. 
I felt alone. I wasn't able to participate in any of the programs due to the distance. Mm -hmm. So it was a lot of adjusting. I went to a new environment during the week, but on Saturday at church, I was in my community, predominantly black. So I was in, in the middle. I would see how the other half lived, very affluent mm -hmm. uh, high school in the valley, Woolen Hills, very affluent. Many of the parents were doctors, lawyers, producers in the entertainment in industry. So the economic mm -hmm. base was, uh, was much higher than where I was living. Mm -hmm. And then going to church with my uh, village, obviously there was a great contrast. So mm -hmm. I started to feel um, insecure. Mm -hmm. I started to feel the difference in the economic uh, disparities already as a teenager. Mm -hmm. So I felt out of sorts. And I always said to myself, I want to do something impactful. I didn't know what that was. Mm -hmm. So I went to college at a, a college in Riverside and still mm -hmm. didn't know what I wanted to do. I see. I, I was floundering. I didn't know what my purpose was. Mm -hmm. And I have to say that in the time that I grew up, depression, being, um, having anxiety, those words were not in our vocabulary at that time. That's right. We, I was brought up in an environment where children were seen and not heard. I Amen. did not have a voice. My mm -hmm. only voice that I had was choir rehearsal and being a member <laughs> of the choir at church, right? So that was my voice, but being able okay. to articulate who I was and what I wanted to do, I had none. I see. So, and at that point, how did you find your voice when you, when, and I concur with you when you said that children back then were seen and, and they would see you, but they did not expect you to say anything at all. Even if you um, disagreed with what they said, you you knew not to not to say that because you you'd be in trouble, you know. Absolutely, so you absolutely. You just you know went on along with it. So how were you able to rise above uh, that type of environment to find your voice? It was a struggle, Dr. Robinson. I'll be very uh, transparent with you. It was a struggle. I suffered from depression. I did not know who I was. I felt like I didn't have any purpose or voice. I saw mm -hmm. my peers in school being successful and I felt like, you know, God, what am I here for? I did not know what I wanted to do. I didn't know who I was in terms of my, my gifts. And for quite some time, I struggled with that. Mm -hmm. So about um, once I returned back from school, you know, didn't finish, came back home, started working. And I said, Lord, you know, what do I, what, what can I do? So I started off mm -hmm. uh, 
in the criminal justice arena. I thought, okay, I love the law. I want to be of service. Maybe I'll try that. And I like a duck to water. I love the curriculum. I was successful in that arena. I graduated from national with a BA in criminal justice, magna cum mm -hmm. laude. So I was, this is what I wanted to do. I want to be a police officer and work for um, that industry. I see. Well, yes. Unfortunately, mm -hmm. I had a, a classmate that was a police officer and mm -hmm. I'm watching the television and of course, you know, the news is coming through and mm -hmm. they say that an officer was killed in his oh. car. Oh, and when I look at the person's name, mm -hmm. I was devastated. That oh, was my classmate. I was oh, devastated. Mm -hmm. It was somebody who I sat next to in class was personable and now he wasn't there. Oh, and I nice. said to myself, you know, I don't want to be in a life threatening situation. Although I, at the time in my police officers, I didn't mm -hmm. want to be thinking about that all the time. So yes. I had to I had to regroup. I had to regroup. And mm -hmm. I was at this point working for the Los Angeles Superior Court, working mm -hmm. in the jury department, and saw people coming in every day asking me questions, you know, why am I here? And giving giving us their life story. And I said to myself, man. I'm hearing all of this. Maybe I should get paid for it, right? I'm hearing all their stories and you know, mm -hmm. all their hardships and what's going on with them. I thought, you know, maybe I should think about psychology. So I started researching and, you know, went through different schools. And I thought, as an adult, by this time now, seasoned, well-traveled, mm -hmm. um, I wanted to be able to get something that was going to be to accommodate my work schedule. I wasn't quite ready to quit my job yet. And mm -hmm. I found a program that fit my criteria. Mm -hmm. And once I got involved with psychology, that was where I found my niche. And I have to say that it was coupled with a traumatic experience in my life. And that is I lost my mom to breast cancer. Oh, I'm sorry to and hear that. Thank you. And that event really catapulted me to realize I did not want to my life with what ifs or yeah. if I only had done. You know, you didn't want to I didn't want to have that as being my my story. So yes. after speaking with a individual in my village and she encouraged me I took the plunge and began my doctorate in psychology. And, you know, people think, wow, you know, how did she get here? Um, mm -hmm. She must have had a, a, a wonderful trajectory. It was yes. a rocky road. It wasn't an easy road. I, I see. wasn't a great student. I had to literally, when I was getting my bachelor's degree, I would take the Sunday and I would take that whole day to study because I knew it was an accelerated class and I knew I needed to get good grades. And so I would take my time, go to the library. Back then the libraries was 
where we went to study. There was no internet at the time. We didn't have Google or anything of those kind of social media. So we studied in the library and that's where I went. From the time they opened up to late at night, I was there every Sunday. And when I was in my doctorate degree, I spent many nights at Panera Bread on their internet getting my homework done. So it was many nights toiling, as they say, the midnight oil. That's what I had to do. Many of my peers, they had a very di direct trajectory. They went to school, high school, college, graduate school, uh, obtained their degree. Mine was not like that. I had to work. I was working full time, going to school at night. I got my AA degree in that same fashion, went on to get my bachelor's. When I got my master's degree, I was working. And it wasn't until I reached my doctorate degree and the clinical courses were required, that's when I had to quit my job of 16 and a half years to complete my clinical course. My, and then when you, when you did that, how the decision to quit your job after 16 years and then pursue something else, how difficult was that for you to make that decision? Dr. Robinson, it was very difficult understand that not many of us, when I say us, women of color, have yes. the resources to quit their job because as you know, education is not a inexpensive endeavor. The higher right. that you go, the tuition increases. And mm -hmm. with that being said, it takes a lot out of you in terms of the actual curriculum, preparing for your dissertation, um, getting all of your, um, it approved by the IRB. There are steps as you know you have to go through. And right. there's a lot of parts on the road where I have to admit, I was questioning, what am I doing? You know, <laughs> this is this really what I, what I need to be doing. And I had right. to pray and ask the Lord to help me to just take one step at a time, take one semester at a time and not look yes. at the big picture because that can be very overwhelming. Right. And I'm also going to be also transparent to say that I am what we would call a seasoned academic. Most individuals now get their PhDs at 30 and yes. they're um, on their way. It took me a while to get my degree. I was pretty seasoned by the time I completed my doctorate. But I, I say that to say that education is one of the things that cannot be taken away from you. They That's can take right. away your car, your mm -hmm. home. You mm -hmm. can uh, take away your uh, worldly possessions. But That's once right. you walk across that stage and mm -hmm. they hand you your diploma, that mm -hmm. is yours. And no one is going to ask you, 
how'd mm-hmm. you get it? Or what was your grades? Or what was what were you what you doing? All they want to see is that piece of paper that you completed right. a structured mm-hmm. program sufficiently to get the reward at the end. And that yeah. is the bottom line. I would like anybody who is listening and watching this program to know that it doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't right. matter what stage you are in life. Mm-hmm. Perseverance and endurance is the key. You may yeah. have to stop for a little while. You may mm-hmm. have to start up again, but right. keep moving forward. And that is how I found my voice. I also had a speech issue growing up and Mm -hmm. I never had any formal um, programs or special school or anything Mm -hmm. like that. And so growing up speaking was devastating. I would get nervous, I would, just be dreading having to read in the out loud, right? Because in school, this is what you did, mm-hmm. you read out loud. That's and the right. T's came and the P's came and the B's came. Mm-hmm. I would be so devastated. I was embarrassed. I see. And you say to yourself, well, you're speaking clearly right now. Right. After years and years and years of speaking up in, in class, speaking in front of the church. Mm -hmm. It has gotten to the point where I have learned to control my speech. So I I was going, I was at work and one of the events we had was to produce a video and be critiqued. And I I was speaking, of course, I was nervous, I was stuttering. And Mm -hmm. the woman said to me, you know, what your issue is, is that your mind is racing much faster than how you can speak. And this is why you stutter. If mm-hmm. you breathe and speak slowly, you'll find you will not stutter at all. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, I practiced that advice and mm-hmm. it worked. I noticed That's- that if I took my time to speak, mm-hmm. if I breathe, took a breath, mm-hmm. you did. You would not hear the stuttering. Of course, when I get a little bit exciting, it does come out every now and then, but generally yeah. speaking, I have learned to speak clearly and speak slowly so that I can be heard. That's and good. that's how the Lord saved me by putting me in an industry where I have to speak and where my voice matters, where people have to listen to me, individuals who come before me who are mentally ill, who had severe trauma, who perhaps no one ever listened to them. And they come to my office and I ask them, so what happened to you? What are your plans? What do you want to do when you leave the hospital? And they Mm -hmm. are able to speak their goals and their aspirations, and we work together to get Mm -hmm. them into the community so they can fulfill their goals. 
That's excellent. That's excellent. And I know I, I like how you, I'm going to go back a little bit when you said that when you were growing up, you had that speech impediment and that you didn't get any, any formal um, help to overcome that, but you worked on it yourself. And then you had an employer point out to you that something significant that helped you and that you were open to listening to what that person said. And that is the key to anyone that's listening tonight too. First of all, it sounds like you believed in yourself enough to know that you could overcome that speech impediment, even without formal help. So someone that's listening tonight to Dr. Mercer, you know, if you don't have the resources to get the proper help that you need to overcome that speech impediment that you might have, then believe in yourself enough to reach out and seek the help yourself. Even if you're a little person and you're at school and that's happening and like Dr. Mercer said, the embarrassment comes or whatnot, you can speak up to a teacher. And oftentimes they have resources that are untapped that we may know nothing of, or our parents may not have the knowledge of know how to go about getting those things in place. But a little child can speak up and say, I need help in this area and confide in an adult and get the help that you need. And then also, I love that you had a teachable and an open spirit that when someone told you what maybe the school was causing a problem, you listened, you didn't get upset or were, you weren't offended by what they said, but you were open and you listened. And then you were able to actually even move further away from that speech impediment. And so I want to encourage someone else that's listening to know that the Lord puts people in our lives to speak things into our lives that we need to be open to hear. And it may come from a person that you might think, well, they don't know what I'm going through or they they don't they can't speak to me that way. Who are you or whatnot? But you got to be open. Look how the Lord he the Lord took and he removed that obstacle out of Dr. Mercer's life. And we would never know that you struggled with, with that. And I believe that it comes from having a willingness to really want to, to get better and move forward and making a decision. And I like how you also shared about education, that once you get that education, that no one can take that away from you. My father would always say that at my home. We, he was a big proponent on education as well. And he would say the same thing that you said, that once you obtain your education, no one can take that away from you. And that is paramount, especially for people of color, knowing that, like you spoke, to matriculate up to the level that you have obtained to receiving a PhD, where roughly 30% of African-Americans obtain that type of degree, that's to be celebrated. And I salute you tonight for doing that. And you told us that it's never too late. You said that you're a seasoned woman and you were a seasoned woman as you were going through that process, but you never gave up. And thank you for encouraging our audience to never give up and that it's never too late to do that. And Absolutely. those words those words really will make an impact on someone that's listening tonight or someone that will listen in the future that they're thinking, 
Dr. Mercer, that I think I want to quit. I think I should give up. Like you said, what is what am I doing here? I don't have the resources. I don't have this, all this, that, the other. But you have what? You have God. And if God told you to do it, he's going to give you the provision for the vision that he put in your spirit. So thank you for being transparent with us on uh, those topics. I also wanted to ask the question of you that's here on the screen. I want to ask you for generations that might be listening to this podcast tonight. I'd like to know what wisdom might you pass on to them from what you're sharing when you, you chose the title of God, um, you that you did not have your voice, but the Lord healed you and he saved you. What wisdom from that particular topic would you share with our listening audience that might help them to continue on? Thank you, Dr. Robinson. I've been thinking of that very question and my words of wisdom to anyone who was listening now or years to come is God is good. He has plans for you, for you to prosper and not do you harm. He wants you to be successful because he wants for you to give him the honor and the glory. And he wants to be able to show his handiwork with your life. And That's so I would say to anyone who is listening now or in the future, ask God to reveal to you what it is he would have you to do. There's something burning in your heart that you want to achieve. I don't know what that is, but you know what that is. Mm -hmm. Ask him to open the way for you to achieve this burning desire. It could be teaching. It could be going back to school to be a doctor, to be a lawyer. Trust mm -hmm. when I say, you might think, oh, there's lawyers already in the world. There's already doctors in the world. There's teachers in the world. But you might have that one skill that a child, a patient, that someone is waiting for, and you have it. And yes, it's right. important for you to pursue your dream because God will open the way for you. There's a saying that says your passion will wait for you, will open for you. You'll be surprised how many people will say to you, I'm so glad you did this or thank you for sharing because your story, someone needs to hear. And so I would say, despite your fears, despite your anxieties, despite mm -hmm. your shortcomings, step into the fear, step into that um, anxiety, press mm -hmm. forward, because as you press forward, you'll find strength. There'll be community will come to help you. God yes. will send people to help you. And so my mm -hmm. words of wisdom are, pursue that thing, be the light, influence someone, impact someone. You'll find that your life will be fuller and much more meaningful if you think about how you can help someone else get through this life. That's right. Thank you, Dr. Mercer. And right along those very lines, what does it mean to you to have a good life? Those are some 
Excellent questions, Dr. Robinson. And you would think, oh, having you know wealth and having a home and having material things. Rest assured, my my life is good because I wake up in the morning and I can breathe on my own. My life yeah. is good because I can get up and I'm in my right mind. My That's life right. is good because I know my heavenly father loves me and he did not forsake me. He did not leave me. And so that is having a good life, trusting in God and not leaning into own understanding, letting him take control of your life and you will have a good life. Amen. Thank you. And now I'm going to go and um, into some of the, your bio, some things that you shared here and talk a little bit about that. You talked about in your bio that during the pandemic, that of course we know that there was so many things that shut down and you said it even affected the, um, the, um, placements for your postdoctoral sites. And with that happening, you went to your village for prayer, meaning her church family and her support system. And you all prayed and asked the Lord for an opportunity to actually open up for you to do your postdoctoral work. And the Lord opened a position for you at a state psychiatric hospital in Maryland. And it required that you would move from California to Maryland during the pandemic. Now, tell us a little bit about what was going on at that time, Dr. Mercer. Dr. Robinson, just imagine everything is shut down and everyone is scrambling, trying to figure out how to move forward in this new normal. And many of the sites that I applied for, I would get interviews. I would be told, we'll get back with you and nothing was coming through. And this is almost a year out of graduation and I knew I had a certain amount of time to complete my doctorate, get my postdoc and be licensed. So mm -hmm. I said, Lord, you have to work on this because nothing was opening up in California at all. I tried Northern, Northern California, Southern California, uh, downtown LA, I was the blind everywhere and nothing was opening. So I had to say, Lord, I'm giving it to you. And so my village prayed and a voice said to me, why don't you go visit your friend in Maryland and kind of, you know, relax, chill out a little bit and group. So I came mm -hmm. to Maryland Thanksgiving and I stayed until the beginning of 2021. And sure enough, I received two applications after applying i got two offers for two psychiatric hospitals in maryland it was like god just opened up the windows because oh i applied i thought mm -hmm. i'm not gonna hear anything from them right away and the yes. holy spirit said look at your email and sure enough there was a response and a time and date for an interview so oh, god wow. knew what he wanted to send me and oh. i'm thankful that he opened up this door because it's been an eye-opener and a learning experience on the mental health hospitals in the state. It's another completely different situation than what I had ever thought of. And um, tell me a little bit about the um, position itself as a mental health clinician at the State Psychiatric Hospital there Absolutely. in Maryland. 
Absolutely. So I work with a team of other professionals, psychiatrists, social workers, and nurses. And I work on the acute admission unit. And that means that when these individuals unfortunately have had contact with the law and they're mm -hmm. in the detention centers, the psychiatrist, psychologist there will mm -hmm. evaluate them and deem them incompetent to stand trial. And I once see. they're given that designation, the court mandates they are sent to a psych hospital for treatment. And that's where I come in. They come okay. to my unit and we stabilize them. They get full services, medical, dental. Um, they get medication. They get three meals. They get groups, mm -hmm. activities throughout the day so that they mm -hmm. become whole and okay. restored to competency to stand mm -hmm. trial at court. I see. And, and does that happen all the time that they are able to be restored back to a competent state or sometimes that doesn't occur? Absolutely, Dr. Robinson. There are times when some individuals are not restorable. Unfortunately, some of them will be at the hospital for quite some time. And there mm -hmm. are others who are just there because of a uh, event in their life that caught mm -hmm. them. And so some of them do leave after a few weeks and after some months. Yes, I see. And uh, what would you say is one of the, the most challenging parts about your position as a clinician there at the hospital? Thank you for that question. One of the challenging parts of my job is when these individuals are unable to admit that they have a mental illness. Unfortunately, that is part of the symptom of schizophrenia and they feel that they don't need it. Why am I here? And unfortunately, it prohibits them from becoming uh, restorable or stabilized in our hospital until that realization comes to them. Many times they will go back in the, in the community and as you know, they're taking their medication, they're feeling better and they mm -hmm. say, you know what, I feel good, I don't need a medication anymore. And of course, right. you and I both know the cycle repeats itself. That's right, over and over again. Yes. So, so what would you say are some of the most enjoyable moments of your position as a clinician at the hospital? You know, Dr. Robinson, the most enjoyable part is just talking to these individuals. They are, at the end of the day, human beings that have had a traumatic experience in their life. But at the end of the day, they can be very personable. Many of them mm -hmm. are very talented. Um, mm -hmm. At one point, one of the recreational uh, therapists at my unit would have a guitar, would have a karaoke machine. Many of them are, are well versed in poetry. They can draw, they are vocalists. So they do have talent, but unfortunately, the mental illness has prevented them from um, seeing their talent to fruition. And that is the sad part, but the enjoyable part is seeing them being able to open up and really show their gifts. Hey, that's great. What is your caseload like? So I am the only psychologist on the unit at this time. 
and typically there's about 20, 21 patients on the unit. Mm-hmm. I have to, you know, divide my time between all of them, but right mm-hmm. now my caseload is about eight or nine and I see all of them, but because mm-hmm. I run the competency group and I also run the conditional release group. So I see them weekly, about 16 to 17 patients each week. That's wonderful. So you build a good rapport with them and they oh, become, yes. they, they learn to trust you, I would imagine. Some of them do. Up. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. That That's a good thing that you're doing. I commend you for that. It takes a very special person to do that. And as a psychologist on a mental health unit, do, do you do, as the traditional psychologists, uh, do they they perform tests, assessments, and some type of psychological evaluations and those types of things? Do you find yourself doing a lot of evaluation and testing, or are you able to do some therapeutic counseling as well when working with them? Yes. So we there is an opportunity for testing based on a referral. And there are some individuals that do get testing. I have to divide my time between the groups. And when the patients come on the unit, we have a team that gets together to assess their needs. I run my groups, also have my individuals. So testing is um, a small part of what I do because I treat the patients. I'm unable to test them. So we'll go out to another colleague, but I do test other patients in different units if it's uh, asked of them. Yeah. That's great. I like that because then there, there, there isn't um, the, the, a chance for you as the person that's there treating them for as their therapist and mental health clinician, then the overlap being there for the testing. We don't want anything to uh, lead into it and have anything presented misleading. Not that you do that, but things are easy to, with, to be misconstrued, especially in our line of work. Absolutely, absolutely. And the way people present to us and all of that and whatnot. Um, I've also read in your bio that you are an advocate for women of color to help them step into their God-given purpose. So tell us a little bit about your work as an advocate. Thank you for that. So part of what I am passionate about is encouraging women to really think about what it is they really want to do. We are all influencers where we are. We don't have to be on a large stage. You don't have to have um, a terminal degree. As a mother, as a black woman, you are being watched and people are looking up to you, whether you know it or not. And just just by how you handle adversity, how you handle life, just those who are watching you, how it's done. And That's so right. I encourage we, we, meaning the chat that we use on a weekly basis, is an mm-hmm. avenue that promotes uh, Black women and uh, Black issues. And so mm-hmm. it's a platform that we started during the pandemic or before the pandemic, I should say, and pivoted mm-hmm. to an online platform where we talk all issues women reproduction, relationships, church, how women are perceived in society, um, giving them information regarding how to do with their own self-worth, your own self-confidence. So all these things play into how we perceive ourselves. And it also helps to sometimes derail us 
when we're trying to push through and obtain that uh, goal that we have in our hearts. And so I really enjoy the chat, but on a personal level, just being able to be a sounding board, listening um, to individuals who want assistance as to when you're going through those times, just having someone to talk to and um, being able to have someone to encourage them because I had individuals who were encouraging me, telling me that I could could do it. And so that helps when you're at that low point, you feel a little bit discouraged having that person say, you got this, you can do this. And so I, that's what I try to do and let them know that your journey doesn't have to be straight. It can be crooked. It doesn't have to be uh, what society says step by step by step. It doesn't have to be that way. However right. you choose to forge through, that is the correct one for you. The ultimate goal is that you complete that goal, you complete your dream, and see what comes you from there. That's great. That's great. And also, you are a board member for the Association of Adventist Women, an organization that promotes ordination to make sure that women are being ordained in your particular association. Can you tell us a little bit about that? I'm very interested in that because myself, I am an ordained um, pastor and it took it took a while for me to get that ordination in place. And I, I feel that some of it had to do with my being a female and all, even though I've been in ministry over thir probably 30 years or so but the ordination just came about maybe eight years ago and all. <laughs> yes, yeah, so you are very familiar with that struggle. We, the denomination that I belong to, the Seventh-day Adventist Church, for many years did not recognize women as uh, pastors. They were lay individuals in the church. And as you know, the statistics in terms of the demographic of church is predominantly women. And so one would say to yourself, well, it should be an easy thing that women should be able to be ministers or pastors. And unfortunately, we are in a world where patriarchy and um, power is still a element of our various churches. And so um, even in our church, there are still the fact that um, it is a struggle for women to be recognized, although they are doing the job. They Now, as time has gone on, we're finding more and more women of color who are becoming ordained, but it's still a challenge. And so this organization that I belong to um, is a supporter of women's ordination and will continue to be because we know that there are many uh, talented and um, called women of God who have mm -hmm. the call to be ministers in our church. And so we support them, we highlight them, and we just finished having our uh, world conference this past Saturday. And um, if you look at the website, uh, Association of Adventist Women, you'll see that we have highlighted women around the world who are baptizing people who are preaching. And so we are advocates that women need to be highlighted in this endeavor. That's great. Thank you for sharing that. 
and the Adventist um, denomination has a special place in my heart because I, I didn't tell you this, but my children, they're, they're young adults now in their early 20s. They, when they were in um, kindergarten and first grade, they started at an Adventist school in Battle Creek, Michigan. And uh, their teacher was Maria Chandler. She was the wonderful lady, just wonderful. And her husband was a psychologist at that time. And, um, and then I worked at an Adventist psychiatric hospital in Battle Creek, Michigan. It's since been bought out by a major hospital chain. But when I was exposed to the Adventist uh, lifestyle, because I worked at that hospital in the mental health department for at least six years, and I met so many wonderful people, a couple that were Adventists that became friends with my husband and myself. And we went over and ate some meals with them, the uh, vegetarian meals. The cafeteria at the hospital where I worked, they served vegetarian meals and it was delicious. It was absolutely delicious. <laughs> and then we would even go to some of the Saturday services with my, my children's teacher because she would invite them to come out. She was just so loving. So I, I have such a special place for Adventists in my heart even in that community of Battle Creek, Michigan, a little small place, everybody knows about Kellogg's cornflakes. So, um, <laughs> so the Kellogg's cornflakes uh, cereal factory is there. But, um, and I said that to say that they had an Adventist village in Battle Creek, Michigan, a part of the city, and they still have that, that was really reserved with the houses and a small chapel there and all types of artifacts in this small section of the, of the city where they would take people through and tell them about the Adventist lifestyle and the Adventist churches and how everything came to be. So it's really deeply rooted in uh, Battle Creek, Michigan and all. So, and I know you are, you, I know you're aware of Andrews University. Yes. And yes. 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 And all. So mm -hmm. that Dr. Dr. Um, Dr. I cannot pronounce her name. Nice. Nicely. 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 Yes. <laughs> going there for her doctoral work yes, really yes, soon yes. and also yes so thank you all for all the work that you do you know as as adventists i definitely honor it highly um i want to move down a little bit further before we conclude i was reading in your bio it which is just just great i read that you have co-authored an uh, an article entitled black men and mental health and it was published in the california psychologist 2021 fall issue so i wanted you to expound a little bit on on that and what did it consist of and how did you go about becoming a co-author for that particular article thank you dr robinson so another um event that i was blessed to be in is the california psychological association and i'm on one of the, the boards and with that comes networking. And so we were uh, tasked with um, writing articles for the psychologists at the fall. So I was asked to write an article. And so because I just started working at the hospital and I'd mm -hmm. seen the population coming through, I thought this would be a great way to talk about what I was experiencing. And so with one of my mentors, Dr. Sheila Morris, mm -hmm. her and I uh, collaborated together on this article. And the basics of this article is that we have spent a lot of time and 
media attention on women, but the whole idea is that men have experienced trauma also, and that I mm -hmm. wanted to highlight how men were being overlooked, even in our mental health um, departments, how mm -hmm. we don't recognize what depression and what anxiety is and what loss is for men, it's mm -hmm. uh, manifested in these diagnoses of schizophrenia. And so for many years, men are told to suck it up, to, you know, you can't show their feelings. And so as they go through life, as we both know, you can hold mm -hmm. it in for so long and then your body and your mind takes a toll. And mm -hmm. so we were just trying to bring attention to the fact that men are experiencing trauma at rates that are not being noticed and That's that right. there needs to be a conscious effort to pay attention to what they are feeling, what they are doing, even as young boys. This is where it starts, where they're acting out, not going mm -hmm. to school, having learning difficulties because of the trauma and dysfunction in the home. And so what you see in the hospitals is the continued lack of services that they are receiving at an early age, and it manifests in self-medicating with marijuana, alcohol, and of course, it, it continues to uh, make uh, dysfunction in the brain. And of course, they start to commit crimes for survival, to get money for drugs. And so the cycle begins. And so we wanted to just bring that attention because we always talk about women and what mm -hmm. they're doing. But I thought it was important to highlight men at this point. And um, how can our listening audience um, actually get a copy or go to a site to read that article? Is it available online? Or? Yes, it's available online. I believe you have to be a member of the Psych Association. However, what I will do is I will forward the article to you and you okay. can forward it on to anyone who needs to like to read it. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you, Dr. Mercer. I appreciate that. And also I've read here in your bio that you are also invited to be a guest speaker on the online radio program, the National Association of Adult Survivors of Child Abuse. Can you tell us a little bit about that and what it entailed? So once again, these opportunities the Lord just um, brought to me. I didn't seek it. I was on another platform by one of my professors, uh, Dr. Deborah Warner, who is an advocate for um, men who suffered from trauma. And one of the individuals, Bill Murray, was on the, the podcast. And mm -hmm. The Lord just told me, you need to be on this podcast. And so it was in September of 2020. Once again, the pandemic opened up so many avenues because we were at home. We're going That's anywhere. Right. And so the opportunities came up and I promised the Lord I would be open to whatever came my way. And it was a podcast where I talked about um, the culture that I grew up in where corporal punishment was the norm. And many individuals don't recognize that, um, yes, you're just disciplining your child, but it has mm -hmm. uh, a very severe ramifications on, um, on children. And right. so not to say that um, my parents were 
abusive and that kind of thing, but understanding that they were only doing what they knew. So keep in mind, right. there is no blueprint for being a parent in those days. That's right. That's right. You only did what you were what, what was seen. And exactly. now that I've had a lot of education regarding our Black history, knowing about what happened in various parts of the world in terms of um, plantation climate and those kinds of things, I recognize mm -hmm. that, as you know, the uh, landowners use corporal punishment to discipline their slaves. And That's if right. you see this, then, and of course it comes down to your uh, elders, how they discipline mm -hmm. you, then mm -hmm. it's not unusual that they would bring the same um, way of disciplining a child uh, to America. And That's so right. it is a situation where I had to recognize that it wasn't their fault and I had mm -hmm. to recognize where it was coming from. Mm -hmm. I asked the Lord to uh, not harden my heart to forgive and recognize this is what they were brought up to do and mm -hmm. move forward on that. But at the same time, I recognize that the result of that was I lived in fear a lot of the time because you didn't know if you did something wrong when that was going to be occurred. So that also played into my insecurities, my lack of self-confidence. I also mm -hmm. believe a speech issue came up because of that also. So, um, yeah, it was a, a way to come to terms with that. Literally, mm -hmm. it was like a cathartic for me to open up about that and recognize that God is a good God. Despite all of that, despite mm -hmm. feeling depression and anxiety and mm -hmm. having everything that would have normally would have caused me to perhaps take a different route in my life, the Lord mm -hmm. literally was able to like I said, I found my voice and I found my passion and has mm -hmm. given me a purpose. And um, God is good. He is a good God. He's a loving God. And I give him all the praise and all the honor for bringing me from that situation to where I am now, where I can say that without those challenges, I would not be the person that I am today. I understand hardship. I understand being um, not being worthy or whether you had anything to offer the world, but you do. Mm -hmm. So yeah. uh, it's just a matter of just giving your heart to the Lord and having him to help you get through and also getting help. It's important to yeah. seek therapy. You can't do this by yourself. And That's right. Assistance, if you're feeling um, sad and depressed or if you even think you want to harm yourself, I would encourage you to uh, seek online assistance. There's telehealth now where you have access to someone at their fingertips on your phone. Mm -hmm. And I would encourage you to avail yourself of that uh, resource. Um, get on Psychology Today and find a therapist that looks like you who is in your area. There are many who are mm -hmm. able to assist you. If they can't assist you right then, ask for a referral because there are therapists who are waiting to assist you. That's right. That's right. And Dr. Mercer, how, how difficult was it for you to speak about some of the things that happened in your childhood that resulted in some, um, some 
resulted in a spillover. You said maybe even with the speech impediment, even with maybe some feeling insecure and those types of things, and that you knew that your parents meant well. It was all that they knew. It's just like my parents. It was all that they knew. It was modeled in front of them from their parents and their parents' parents. But sometimes those things lay dormant in our spirits and we are told that what goes on in this house stays in this house. And even when we get to be adults and we move on and start our own lives, we still hear that voice in our head. What goes on in this house stays in this house. So we don't talk about it. But then if we don't talk about it, then it's going to haunt us and it's going to inhibit us from actually reaching our fullest potential. So what gave you the courage to begin to speak about that issue, especially on a national platform such as this? Thank you for the question, Dr. Robinson. It was difficult. I'll be transparent. I had to pray and ask the Lord to really give me the strength to endure that uh, interview. It was painful at times, and I had to fight back some tears. But I, I realized that it was important for me to be honest with my journey, because mm -hmm. without being honest with my journey, how can I tell others to be honest about their journey? And That's so right. you have to model what you want to see in the world. You have to be the change you want to see in the world. And right. I realized that in order for me to step into God's purpose, he had me go through this for a reason. There's That's a reason right. why we go through the hardships in our life because the Lord knows he can trust you with these challenges. And that in of itself gives you the strength to say, mm -hmm. Lord, I'm doing this for you. Give me the strength to get through this. And he will do that. It's still difficult for me. It's not easy. I'm not mm -hmm. trying to paint my parents as being individuals who lack love. That's not what I'm right. saying. I'm, what I'm saying is that mm -hmm. everyone is not perfect in their way of life. We are That's all right. human beings with flaws. And in the end, God says, honor thy mother and thy father, that my days may be long upon the land where thy God giveth thee. God That's knew right. that parents were not going to be perfect. He understood human because he came to this earth as a human being. And he had human parents, so he recognized mm -hmm. they were not going to be perfect. But in the end, we have to ask the Lord to say, Lord, you gave me this life, and what what we to do with it? And so it's just to say that we're human, and despite what we went through, you can still be successful, you can still uh, step into your purpose and be what God wants you to be. That's right. And as we transition to a close, I want us to kind of wind down um, with some more light, lighter types of uh, discussion here for the next few minutes. And I want to ask you to think about what was your earliest memory that you had in life when you were a child. And, um, you know, when we're kids, some of us can remember all the way back when we were two. Some of us can remember when we were at what happened at three. And some of us don't have memory until we get to be about five. But what about you, Dr. Mercer? What was your earliest memory? <laughs> I can remember, that's a great question. I can remember as a 
child, we were outdoors all the time. We didn't have social media, phones, we didn't have YouTube or MTV at the time. We had our imagination. We had the outdoors, just being able to ride our bikes in the neighborhood, being able to, I love riding a skateboard back then with just a skateboard. Now it's a whole Olympic event at the Olympics. But when we were growing up, riding our bikes up and down the, the, the neighborhood, um, riding our skateboards, just being in community with the other neighborhood kids, that was uh, a wonderful memory that I'll never forget. Oh, and the smells, you know, even, you know, our, our senses, you know, yes. you smell the flowers outside. It was something about those little flowers that grew in the, out in the yard and, and all, and the smells of cooking that people used to literally cook and not have all this fast food and whatnot. You <laughs> smell, smell the greens cooking and all that in the neighborhood and all the sounds. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. And what are what are the most important lessons that you think that you have learned in life thus far? Wow. Dr. Robinson, you're really pulling some great ones. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. I think the greatest lesson I have learned is to give yourself grace, to not think that everything has to be perfect, mm -hmm. to give yourself the opportunity to fail. Mm -hmm. Fail just means that you tried something, right? Because I know that many of us, and me included, had the idea that it had to be a perfect journey. You couldn't make any mistakes. But if you don't make a mistake, how will you learn? How will you recognize where you need to improve on? So I would say I have learned that it's okay to make a mistake. It's okay to fail. It's okay not to have to do everything in order. It's a journey. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, a process. And we're learning every step of the way. So I would say be present in the moment and take the lesson that's being given to you. That's great. Thank you, Dr. Mercer. And before we close, I want to ask you, what, what do you do for self-care to take care of yourself and to make sure that you take time out for Dr. Mercer and do something <laughs> special for yourself? And how often do you do that special thing or things? For yourself? That's a, that's a great question. I live in the state of Maryland, which is right outside Washington, D.C., and there's so much to see and do. And yes, we're in a pandemic, but I enjoy the outdoors. It's so beautiful and green here. I get to walk the campus of my employment where I see deer, I see beautiful birds, I see squirrels, I see rabbits, I see ducks. And so just being out in nature, just watching the birds or hearing the birds sing, watching them fly, um, being with my friends, right? I walk with my cousins uh, once a week, being able mm -hmm. to talk with them, commune with them. And every Friday night, my village in California get together on Zoom and we talk about how our week was. And so that's self-care for me, being able to still be in communication with them, to see them, to be able to see nature. Of course, I enjoy, you know, going out to dinner every once in a while with, with friends, but 
We try to keep that to a minimum because of the pandemic, but, or reading. I love reading and I love uh, reading various books that come my way for the various podcasts. That's how I do self-care. Well, that's excellent. And we, and we know both as mental health professionals that it's, it, it's paramount that we take time out for ourselves because we give so much of ourselves to our clients and to people. We're just natural helpers. I think anyone called in the, into this profession in the mental health profession are people that really love from their heart. It's more than a job to them. So I thank you and I commend you for the excellent work that you're doing, for all the accomplishments that the Lord has allowed you to be able to achieve in your life. I thank God that you put here in the bio that you give all the honor and glory to God for all of your accomplishments and all of the opportunities that he has allowed you to share through public speaking, that you are an advocate for women of color to step into their God-given purpose. And it lets me know that you believe in giving back what the Lord has gave you. You know that it isn't just for you to hoard and hold on to, but you give back and you do it with excitement and with passion and with, with genuineness. And for that, I'm grateful. And I thank you for being a guest tonight on our podcast, Dr. Mercer. Thank, thank you so you. much. Thank you, Dr. Robinson, for the opportunity to be on the Lotus Flower podcast. I commend you and what you're doing with Emerging Hope Ministries, and I hope that we'll be able to collaborate in the future on some project. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Thank you, and, and thank you for those that aren't aware of that, Dr. Mercer and her group the uh, book club, they invited me to be one of the uh, guest authors in about maybe three weeks ago. And we talked about my book, The Color of Hope, African-American Mental Health in the Church. And, and that is where we met. And I enjoyed being a part of that discussion. And I'm going to actually be online on your discussion that's coming up at the end of the month for the book club. Now that Absolutely. you guys have grafted me in, they, they told me you're <laughs> I'm a member now. I'm a grafted. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I received that. <laughs> yes, you're part of the A team, as we like to say. And so we just welcome everyone that comes on our podcast because we value what you have to offer. And we just feel like the more we can be in community and collaborate, we can definitely spread the good news of Jesus Christ throughout the world. And so that's our goal and that's our mission. Thank you, Dr. Mercer. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with our listening audience before we close the podcast this evening? Thank you for this opportunity once again, Dr. Robinson. And yes, I would like to um, give everyone the website to Mount Rubido's support groups. We have 13 various support groups that are online. They're free and the podcast cast um, information is www.mountrubidoesda.org and that is the website to Mount Rubido SDA Church and if you go into the website you will see more if you click on adults and you will see the purple bar where it says grow groups, life groups, and support groups. If you click on support groups, there will be the various 
support groups that we have. We've got cancer survivor, COVID survivor, of course, the seeking safety group that I facilitate, recovering from addiction, heart child for those who are thinking about adoption. We also have a group for individuals who are coming out of incarceration called Another Chance. And so we ask that you just peruse the uh, Mount Wilberdo website and we encourage you to take a moment and join one of those groups. It's free and it is open to anyone of any faith. There's no criteria. And it's um, I found it to be a blessing to many of the people who choose to join our groups. Thank you. And I will put that information in our description as well. So people will have that. Thank you again. And so for the podcast listening audience, I want to invite you to be sure to like, comment, and subscribe to the Lotus Flower Podcast. Each time you subscribe, you won't miss an episode, such as the episode tonight with Dr. Mercer. That episode will drop right in your inbox and you can listen to it or watch it here on YouTube at your leisure, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So we want to make sure that you let your loved ones, your social media contact, your friends, your church members know that the Lotus Flower Podcast is here for them. This is a tool to help you to reach your potential that the Lord has for you here on earth. Yes, we're going to have heaven when we get to heaven. It's going to be a beautiful place. But God also wants you to enjoy your life while you're right down here on earth as well. So this Lotus Flower podcast is one way that we're helping to equip you to make sure that you're able to have a fruitful life and reach your God-given potential with guests such as Dr. Mercer, how you shared so richly. And I'm sure that many lives have been impacted and will be impacted by what was shared this evening. I would like to ask you, Dr. Mercer, if you wouldn't mind closing us in prayer at this time. Absolutely. Thank you once again, Dr. Robinson. Let us pray. Our dear and gracious Heavenly Father, I want to thank you once again for your goodness and your mercy that you bestowed upon us tonight. We just thank you for Dr. Robinson and Emerging Hope Ministries with her husband, Reverend Curtis Robinson Sr. We just thank you for the opportunity to share your love and share who you are to others, Lord. And as we close this podcast, we ask that it will touch a heart, touch a mind, touch a soul. Someone out there is in the valley of decision, maybe not sure what they want to do with their lives, maybe lost, Lord, impress upon them that you are the heart giver, you are the soul giver, and that you are the one that has a plan for them. And we ask that you reveal that plan to them and open up the way for them to fulfill that desire of their heart. And so, Lord, as we close this platform, Lord, we ask that you not close from you, that you will let this podcast go out throughout the world and touch someone who needs to hear this today. Lord, we thank you and we praise you and we give you all the honor and all the glory in your son's name, Jesus. Amen.
Amen and amen. Dr. Mercer, thanks again for being our special guest. And we will look forward to a continual partnership with you. May God bless you. Same to you. Thank you so much. Have a blessed evening. Bye for now. The Lotus Flower Podcast with our special guest today, Dr. Mercer. We were so fortunate to have her with us this evening. What a wonderful and a rich topic that she shared from the depths of her heart. Finding My Voice, How God Saved Me, Season 2, Episode 22 of the Lotus Flower Podcast. I want you to be sure to go back and listen to the podcast again at your leisure. Sometimes it's hard to take it all in when it's being shared initially because you're listening because you don't want to miss anything. But I want you to go back and listen to it slowly. And as you're listening, kind of dissect what she's saying. And then ask the Lord to speak to you and say, Lord, show me what it is that you'd have me to learn from the nuggets, the rich nuggets that Dr. Mercer shared so freely with us today. Thank God once again for you and you and you. The Lotus Flower Podcast wouldn't be as successful as it is had it not been for our subscribers and those of you that continually watch this podcast and download the episodes on a weekly basis. We have at this point 1,483 audio podcast subscribers that's on our audio platforms. Here on our virtual platform at YouTube, we have roughly 59 subscribers. Having just started the audio podcast, I'm sorry, having just started our video podcast through YouTube back in January, We are reaching out to our audience to help us to have at least 500 subscribers by the end of this year to our YouTube platform. And we can do that. We want you to like, comment, and most importantly, share the Lotus Flower podcast with your family, friends, and listening audience so that we can make an impact on this world not only in your local communities, but the podcast airs all over the United States and globally. We want to put out God's word from a strategic platform such as this, utilizing the gifts that God has given to our Lotus Flower podcast guests. Won't you help us in reaching our goal of those subscribers. I know that we can do it because with God, all things are possible. Again, thank you for joining us tonight for the Lotus Flower Podcast. Be blessed.